0: This spring, we're taking time to learn about the disciplines of the spiritual life, the intentional practices that help us to grow as disciples of Jesus, and they enable Jesus to change us through his grace so that we grow. Has anybody else been challenged so far in the first two weeks? I've really enjoyed spending time reflecting on the disciplines of prayer and of study, not just on my own, but with my community group on Sunday afternoons. The best thing about the disciplines is they're not meant just for you. They're meant for the community. And so this morning, I want to look at another discipline, one that seems like it might be just for us, but it actually will bless the community as we pursue it together. We're going to look at the discipline of solitude. Now, solitude is quite simply the discipline of being alone and being quiet with God. It's simple enough as a concept, but If we're honest, solitude is a bit harder to put into practice. Because when we're practicing solitude, we're practicing something that we don't do very frequently in our world today. We're practicing slowing down, stilling ourselves, being quiet, and being okay with being alone. This isn't something we're very comfortable with in our modern, digitally engaged world. Being alone never seems to happen now when we have our phones. And slow is an adjective we use to describe the Wi-Fi speed probably more than our own lives. But the discipline of solitude helps us in that because it helps us to reorient our lives back to God, to be more present with him, to be quiet and alone. It's going to take focus and intention, and we're going to need a guide to get through it. But the good thing is we have Jesus And he's the best guy that we could ever have. As we study Jesus's life, we see that he spent a lot of time in solitude. It was a practice that helped ground him in God's presence to help him to hear God's voice better and to rest in his love, no matter what happened. Doesn't that sound like something that would probably be helpful for us as well? So this morning, I want to be practical as we talk about solitude I have six tips that will help us collectively to pursue solitude. Each one is as simple as I can make it because being quiet and alone with God's not a complex thing. And it always begins with showing up, which leads me to my first tip. When we want to pursue solitude, we should start with the little moments. If you want to pursue solitude, you're going to have to change how you live your rhythm is going to have to shift and change because solitude is an intentional choice. Now, we might think that solitude involves packing up our Bible and a journal and food for 40 days and 40 nights and hiking up to a monastery on the top of a mountain somewhere. But let me dispel something for you. That's impractical for most of us. And if anything, it's going to overwhelm the rest of us. Sure, you might look like you're in solitude, and it might actually feel how we imagine solitude to feel, but that's like trying to learn how to swim by jumping into the deep end with no help. When you learn how to swim, you start in the shallow end with a teacher who teaches you the tools and the habits you need in order to swim in the deep end. So as we begin practicing solitude, start small. Look for the little moments in your day, the quiet times where you can focus in on God. Anywhere there's a gap becomes a moment you can spend with God. I bet if we look, we can probably find these kinds of moments. But we might have to reorient our perspective because usually these moments are filled with other things. The 10-minute walk you go on when you listen to music to calm your head after work, that's a moment where we can spend time in solitude with God. Or the time you drive to pick your kids up from school and listen to the radio, that could be a moment for solitude. Or when we sit with our morning cup of coffee, drinking it on the couch, reading the news. Or maybe, maybe, if you're in the shower singing to your favorite song, that could also be a moment for solitude. What would happen if we tried to fill these little moments, not with more noise, but with intention to focus in on God? Throughout scripture, the writers testify to us what would happen. And Maggie read Psalm 40 today. David teaches us what happens when we listen for God's voice. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the desolate pit, out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. When we wait for God and turn to him, he meets us every time because God's invitation is to open up every moment to him and to spend time with him growing. Even the little moments, our walks, our commutes, our morning coffees, and even our showers become a time where we could experience the presence of God. And when we wait patiently for him in those moments, he always inclines to us and hears our cry. This is God's promise. He uses the moments that we have uh, for his presence. Which brings me to my second tip. When you find a moment to practice solitude, be still. Many of us are so addicted to movement and to noise and to busyness, we don't even know how to be still anymore. Stillness is something we experience when we fall asleep or maybe when we get sick and we become too exhausted to move. We avoid stillness until we're literally forced into it. I wonder why that is. I mean, I know for myself, I avoid stillness because I'm kind of afraid of it. I'm afraid of what might rise up within me or what God might speak into that moment or what God might not speak into that moment. But here's the good news. God wants us to be still before him. In fact, he invites us to this in Psalm 46, beginning in verse 10. The psalmist tells us what God thinks. He says, be still And know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We don't need to be afraid of being still because stillness offers us a refuge in our busy world. When we're still, we're met by God, and He enables us to keep going on the journey that we're on. We don't need to be afraid of it. God promises to be present with us in the midst of it, to protect us and sustain us. But we need to know what being still means if we're going to do it. And being still is pretty straightforward. Take what is in motion and bring it to rest. Stop moving. If you want to be still, you need to take the things that are moving and bring them to rest. If it's your legs that are tapping, intentionally still them. If you're fidgeting with your ring, put your hands on your lap and be quiet. If your thoughts are racing about work, address them and then set them aside and promise yourself you'll you'll get to them later. If it's your emotions that are rising within you, take a few deep breaths and quiet your heart. And then wait in stillness without moving, without speaking. Be at rest. But it's hard, isn't it? When we hear the ambulance driving by or we see the cars moving on the street or we hear the train rattling under our living room window like I do every morning, it's so loud. They can jolt us out of our stillness and it can make it really hard to pay attention to God's presence. So this is where my third tip comes in. And it's a simple tip. Get outside. Distractions in our life are unavoidable. But we can control some of them. We can turn our phone off. We can turn music down. We can get away from people. We can welcome silence. And we can get outside. When Jesus wanted to be alone in solitude throughout scripture, he went outside. Look at Luke 6, verse 12, as an example. Luke tells us, Now during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Every time that Jesus needed to be with God, he went outside. This is just one example of the many times that Jesus got away. When he needed to make a decision, like here, choosing his apostles, when he needed to process his grief or or process what was coming before him, Jesus went outside. But the wilderness was not the secret of Jesus's solitude. God was just as present in the city as he is out in the woods. But what the wilderness provided was a lack of distraction. Jesus had plenty of those in his day. He had people he needed to care for. He had sick he needed to heal. He had disciples he had to teach. So when Jesus needed to be alone, he had to leave his daily routine and go outside If you can, you should try and copy Jesus. If it's just a short walk where you get up from your desk, you leave your phone on it and you go for a 10 or 15 minute walk outside, that's awesome. And if you hear nothing else from my sermon today, let me say this, a walk outside with nothing in your ears or in your pocket could be one of the best things you could ever do for your spiritual life. If you're a mom, load your kids into the stroller and take them for a walk. Maybe if you're a bit more adventurous go for a long hike. There's a 12-mile loop in the Delaware Water Gap that I could tell you about. That's where I go when I'm trying to find solitude. But some of you might already have a regular practice of being outside, maybe walking or running every day. Let me say this. If you're walking or running with headphones in or your phone on you, you're not alone. You're spending time with Marcus Mumford and his band, or you're spending time with Phil Vischer and Sky Jitani and the guests on their podcast. That's not being alone in the wilderness. That's bringing your distractions with you. Now, God will meet you on those moments outside. As we quiet distractions uh, and we set aside the things that we can, that's uh, what enables us to pursue solitude. But like the distractions that always rise up, there are always things that need our attention and seem to interrupt us just when we're alone with God. Which, Brings me to my fourth point. When those things arise, embrace the interruptions to your solitude like Jesus did. When Jesus found out that his cousin John had been killed, Jesus tried to withdraw away. He tried to get away from the crowds that he was with and go to the wilderness and to process his grief. But other people needed his attention let's look at Matthew 14, which is where this story occurs beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to his deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he cured their sick. When Jesus's solitude was interrupted by the crowds seeking his attention, he didn't turn them away because he was trying to be alone with God. He welcomed them in. He had compassion on them and he cared for them. He cured their sick. Uh, He spent time with them and he fed them a miraculous meal. This is the start of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus embraced the crowd's interruption because he couldn't set them aside. They needed him. And he loved them, and so he welcomed them in. Now, I'll be honest, this one feels really personal to me, not because crowds follow me around and frequently interrupt me, unless you count some of the middle schoolers on Sundays, but this one feels personal to me because I was the interruption. My mom, Karen, is an incredible woman, and every morning growing up, she spent time in intentional solitude with God. But As kids do, my little sisters or I always seem to need something just in the middle of this. We'd come to her door and we'd knock and stick our heads in and say, Mom, can I have a cookie? Or, she hit me. Or, can I just come sit with you? And it would have been really easy for my mom to say, I'll deal with you in 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes, please. But my mom didn't do this. And it's one of the things that I love most about her. She would open the door and she would welcome us in. She would care with whatever needs we brought to her, And then she would invite us into her time with Jesus. She would bring us up onto the bed. We would sit there and she would read her Bible to us. She would let us take notes within her Bible. And then she would pray with us. This is a picture of my mom's Bible. You can see my notes at age six. I had incredible penmanship. Uh, My sister Morgan wrote her name, which at age three looked like a mountain range. And These are memories that my mom holds really dear. Uh, This is a reminder that from an early age, my mom has created space for me to spend time with Jesus. And so I called her before the message and I was talking to her about this and asking her about her practice of solitude. And I also wanted to apologize for interrupting her solitude so much. And she stopped me before I could even get the words out. And she said, Ryan, do not apologize. It was a gift to be able to break my solitude for you to invite you into my solitude. My time with Jesus wasn't something just for me. It was also something for you and your sisters and your dad. So if your kids are interrupting you when you're in a time of solitude, instead of pushing them off, if you can't ask them to set it aside, welcome them in. It could be something that changes their life. Or if you're on a solitude walk and you meet someone and they start talking to you, like that person in the airplane who just never seems to know when to leave you alone, Uh, spend time talking with them. Be open to the possibility that God could have something else in mind for your time of solitude. Be interruptible. And then when the interruption is over, quiet your heart and mind again, if you can bring your spirit back before Jesus and pursue solitude. This is what Jesus did after he cared for the crowd, We pick the story back up in verse 23 of Matthew 14. Matthew writes After he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. When the crowd's needs were met, Jesus retreated back into his solitude. He completed what he was intending to do, grieving and processing John's death. This is the fact about solitude. It's not gonna be neat and tidy every single time, but that doesn't mean it's not right or it's not what God has in mind. Here's another tip for you as you practice solitude and time alone with God. Pay attention to the desires that rise up within you when you're still and quiet before God. And then let God meet those desires. There was a prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah, He was threatened by a ruler and got pretty afraid and ran into the desert to be alone with God. Do some of you guys know this story? He was exhausted and afraid. And out of this place, he asked God to take away his life because that seemed like a better option to him than keeping going. But God knew that what he needed was not death. It was something else. And so we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 5. Elijah says, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree, and he fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Side note, God made Elijah pancakes, and this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Elijah got up, ate, and drank and then he lay down again the angel of the lord came a second time touched him and said get up and eat otherwise the journey will be too much for you he got up and ate and drank and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to horeb the mount of god god saw that elijah didn't need to die he needed rest he needed a nap and some food, and another nap, and another meal before he could even begin to address the feelings of fear, and guilt, and shame that lay underneath. God addressed Elijah's underlying needs in solitude before he addressed the other things. And so as we pay attention to the desires that rise up within us, we create space for God to do the same. Because it's only as we listen to our needs that we can see where God is trying to meet them to unburden us, to heal us, to free us, to meet us in his depth of grace. So when you are silent, what needs arise within you? What are the desires that seem to bubble up from within? Is it the need for a nap or maybe for a cheeseburger or maybe even a hug? If it's one of those things, you shouldn't just brush that off as not spiritual We're not souls trapped within a body. God has given us our bodies as gifts and he wants to care for us in them. So if you're tired, take a nap. If you're hungry, eat a meal. If you're lonely, call a friend and speak to them on the phone. These are good things that God wants to meet you in. But you might also find that there are things that bubble up within us that we don't want to meet and engage with. Maybe it's a deep underlying anger that doesn't seem to go away or a lust that seems to set your heart on fire or a feeling of shame and guilt that makes you want to hide. I think our natural tendency in these moments is to try and brush those things off, to run away from them or to shove them deep down inside because we're afraid of what it might look like to engage with them. You don't need to avoid these desires out of fear. Actually, if you do that, they're going to be harder to get through. Have you ever tried to not think about something and then found yourself only able to focus on the thing you don't want to think about? When we acknowledge the desires that come up within us, whether they're kind of innate hunger or if there's something deeper and maybe perhaps a bit less innocent, we create space for God to deal with them. Our desires were meant to be brought straight to God. And he wants to set you free from their power over you. And he wants to meet the need that underlies them like only God can. So when you feel things that rise up when you're still, bring them to God, ask him to meet you in them and then do what seems right in response. If you're angry about what someone has done to you in the past, ask God for forgiveness and then try and make it right. If you feel overcome with lust, Pray for self-control and tell someone else that you trust. If you feel ashamed, tell God and then tell yourself the truth. God's not ashamed of you and you don't need to be ashamed of yourself either. Rise up, not in fear, but in hope. As we take time to pay attention to these desires, they'll lead us to a deeper intimacy with God. And they'll also clear our way forward to be better members of our community. This is my last tip. Don't try and pursue solitude on your own. Pursue solitude in community. Your attempts to be still, to get outside and limit distractions, to be interruptible, and to pay attention to your desires can't be done solely on your own. You need other people's help. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, theologian, and seminary professor in Nazi Germany, and he wrote a book, this book called Life Together. This is actually Christian's copy. I took it out of his office because I couldn't find mine. But he wrote in it about the need for solitude and how it can't be separated from the need from community. Listen into what he says. He writes, "Let him who cannot be alone beware of community." And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community, and let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Solitude deepens our experience of community and community deepens our experience of solitude. Maggie and I have a really good friend who has two babies and an incredible wife. And we were talking recently about how his times of solitude have shifted since he's had kids and gotten married because for him to get away, there's sacrifice involved. His wife is suddenly solo on childcare duty and when she holds space for him to go, she is sacrificing her time, but it comes with a benefit because when he emerges from a solitude, he's greeted by an enthusiastic two-year-old who wants to tell his dad about all of the lifts and the backhoes and the bulldozers that he saw, and he gets to give his wife the same gift. We need each other's help to pursue solitude. If you're married you're going to have to ask for time away to be alone. Maybe Friday night, you can work it out that you can take a short walk while they prepare dinner uh, to clear your head after the work week so you can be present, not just with God, but with your family. And in turn, maybe you could do dinner one of the other nights of the week and create space for your partner to be alone with God. If you know you need time alone, communicate that with them. Now, if you're a high school student, you got to talk to your parents. Maybe what you can do is you can ask if you can have 30 minutes before you do your chores, not to play Xbox or to be on Snapchat or check Instagram, but to leave your phone out in the common place and to be quiet with God. If you do this, you will grow and you will grow in faith and you will grow as a person. I bet you, your parents are going to help you take that space. We need each other's help because solitude is hard. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, encouraging them to help one another in the practice of faith. He writes to them, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as indeed you are doing. Can we all agree that we need help from our community to pursue God? This isn't a thing we can do solo. And it's something as a church we want to be about. We want to be a community of disciples who are inviting others and inspiring them to follow Jesus. And that's one of the best things that we can do. If we want to grow in that, we need to practice the discipline of solitude. It creates space for us to rest with God so we can love with more endurance. It opens our eyes to the areas within us that God is trying to grow us so we can be a blessing to other people. And it teaches us that God wants to spend time with us because he loves us. He wants you to spend time with him in solitude. And that's a gift. So let's practice as a community coming before God in silence and solitude. And then I'll close this in prayer. Quiet your mind, still your body, be present. God, it is a gift to spend time together with brothers and sisters dwelling in unity. You write in scripture that it's like oil dripping down a beard. It's a sign of an abundant life. Thank you for the gift of this. But thank you also that we can be still and know that you are God. And when we do that, we find a refuge from the busyness of the world. God, be with us this week as we pursue you in solitude. Be near to us as we listen for your voice.